the San Francisco Experience Podcast. Brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 22, Episode 8. The Growth of the Artificial Intelligence Industry in the San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Bay Area. In conversation with Dr. Sean Randolph, Senior Director of the Bay Area Council Economic Institute. Our guest today is Sean Randolph of the Bay Area Council, a public-private partnership of business, labor, government, and higher education that works to foster a competitive economy in California and the San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Bay Area. Good morning, Sean, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Jim. Glad to be here. Sean, please take a few minutes to share your biography with our listeners. I've always been on one side or the other, or perhaps straddling the fence between business and government. I spent about 12 years in the federal government working on House of Representatives staffs, mostly in the foreign affairs area, appeared in the White House a number of years at the State Department, dealing with Asia-Pacific economic issues, and at the Energy Department, dealing with global energy issues. California's home, though, so when I came back to California, I ran a global business organization uh, focused on uh, the economies in the Asia-Pacific area. I became trade director for the state of California after Mm -hmm. that. And after that, I landed where I am now and have been for many years at the Bay Area Council, which is the leading business organization here in Northern California. I'm with its Economic Institute, and we're basically the think tank for the operation. And our job is to understand and help our partners understand as best we're able the dynamic of the economy in California and the Silicon Valley and San Francisco and help them understand also some of the technology trends and the global business issues that will affect our companies and our residents here uh, in California, but especially here in the Bay Area. Now, when you say the uh, think tank, I recall that the Bay Area Council, for instance, has been behind some of the key seminal development projects here in the Bay Area. For instance, the Bay Area Council played a significant role in BART, when BART was first being conceived and went before the voters for approval, the San Rafael Bridge, you played a significant role in that. So you're a, on the one hand, you play the role of a think tank. On the other hand, the Bay Area Council has really been behind some of the key infrastructure projects over the decades that have made the Bay Area what it is today. Oh, absolutely true. The council is actually a business membership organization, about 340 companies from all industries, CEO-led. So it it really focuses on advocacy. It it has people in Sacramento. It takes people to Washington. It's very active writing, supporting, opposing legislation, writing, supporting, opposing bond measures and other things here in the Bay Area as well. So at the end of the day, the council really, you know, is in the space of of influencing and impacting public policy on economic issues. And what we at the Institute do is we generate the data and the analysis, which is hopefully independent, credible analysis, whether you like it or not, you know, here's what we're seeing going on, that really provides a lot of the foundation for policy advocacy 
and also helps our members and our outside partners understand the trends and the opportunities, but from a completely nonpartisan and objective standpoint. Mm -hmm. Very impressive. Sean, the San Francisco Silicon Valley Bay Area has a storied history for technological invention going back over 70 years. In the latest wave of innovation, artificial intelligence, the region has played a significant role. Some observers call artificial intelligence the most important development since the dawn of the Internet. For instance, 11 of the world's 16 top AI companies are located in our region, such as NVIDIA, the chip maker who makes the chips that are used in AI, ChatGPT and OpenAI are both headquartered here in San Francisco. So why here in our region, what other regions around the world are going to benefit from the, the dawn of this new AI era? And most importantly, what about the prospect of regulation of artificial intelligence? We've heard a lot of concerns over the last few months as AI has kind of burst on the scene, if you will, about perhaps even existential threats and the need for regulation. So I know that's kind of a long-winded, multifaceted question, Sean, but at this point, let me turn the mic over to you and look forward to a good conversation about artificial intelligence. There's a lot, a lot to unpack there, Jim. I'll, I'll start with why, why the Bay Area. So, you know, the Bay Area, as we all know, has the well-deserved reputation of being sort of the global epicenter for technology and the technology of all kinds, but especially digital technology. Uh, we have companies and governments from all around the world who have a presence here just to engage with companies and be part of the cutting edge of where technology is going. And that, that's happening at multiple levels. We've always had a strong base in hardware going back into the birth of the semiconductor industry. As time went on, that's grown in, into software and then all things digital. And as we know, uh, digital technology is affecting and will affect virtually everything. Like no, nobody's going to escape, you know, the really the, the growth and spread of digital technologies, no matter what your industry. So it turns out, we're the birthplace of the venture capital industry. This is still home of the world's major venture firms. Uh, we have the highest concentration of venture investment in any given year. It might be maybe between 30 and 40, even 45% of all national venture investment happens here in the Bay Area. So having that kind of capital here is really a catalyst and it's a draw and it's an engine for innovation because really smart people and startups from all around the world come here sooner or later uh, to access that, that capital, especially growth capital. That is built on top of this phenomenal infrastructure we have in higher education, led by Berkeley and led by Stanford, but including University of California, San Francisco, University of California, Davis, University of California, Santa Cruz that generate massive amounts of intellectual property, licenses, patents, but they all generate huge numbers of startups and company founders, either faculty or, or, or students, who grow their companies here, here in the region. So you have this infrastructure 
of technology research and capacity, some of the very best departments in the world, in computer science and engineering, you have a business environment that is receptive to and prepared to invest in the startups that come out of that, then it's a global phenomenon because this is attracting people from all around the world. So the Silicon Valley has led various kind of leaps forward in technology going back, you know, many, many decades. You know, it started with, with, with hardware and, and, and semiconductors, and it went into personal computers, and we got into the Internet, and we got into social media. And so there have been successive waves every 10 years, more or less, when industry leaps forward here to the next thing that de defines a new industry, that defines a new sector, and then that becomes a new, a new basis of growth. So, and what comes with all of that, what enables it is this intense concentration of extraordinarily smart people, again, who, who come from everywhere. So that's, it's the deepest talent base on technology in the world. So when we talk about AI, it shouldn't be a huge surprise that the leaps forward being made today in AI, including generative AI, are happening not exclusively, but primarily uh, here in the Bay Area. It, it's something we've done before uh, again and again. You know, of course, with the, with the advent of generative AI, we're all downloading it to our iPhones, trying to use it. Of course, I'm, I'm trying to use it myself. I listened to a very interesting lecture by Jordan Peterson, uh, which is available on YouTube, where he was discussing the advent of AI. And one of the, the and I thought to myself, gee, if somebody as smart as Jordan Peterson is using AI, I, I really need to understand why. He explained that he uses three AI models, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and an AI from University of Toronto. He is a Canadian. The way he described the AI of each one of those offerings was that it was akin to a newly minted PhD assistant who was available 24-7 to him to answer pretty much any question in a research capacity that he might have. So I was very impressed with the way he explained that. What has your experience been as regards the uptake of AI that you've seen among non-tech companies here in the Bay Area and beyond? Because as you said, the writ of the Bay Area Council is not just for the Bay Area, for California, the United States, but you're global in scope. I think, well, let's distinguish first between say general AI and generative AI. So AI is not a new thing. It's been around for at least a couple of decades and it's been increasingly incorporated, especially in recent years into business models by all kinds of companies. But the pace of that has been accelerating with the sophistication of the technology. And then generative AI has been a qualitative leap forward that has suddenly gotten people's attention. Like It's not that AI was invisible before, but it's really that the extraordinary leap in capacity suddenly has people riveted on this. And so I think companies are still trying to figure it out. It's with us now. The path forward seems inevitable that companies of all kinds, and not just technology companies, uh, or non-tech companies of every kind, will be increasingly using AI 
and you know it comes in all flavors but i think the generative ai you know they're recognizing is is going to be one way or the other essential for them to understand and eventually to be able to use so it's pretty early days you know we've only been talking about this for what, six or eight months and the industry if we think about generative ai it's still very very new it's, it's very nascent so there are in many ways more questions than answers out there but i think it is really important that this isn't a conversation just within the tech community it's something where it's kind of like digitalization when it really got going a mm -hmm. decade or more ago. These days, if you don't have a digital strategy, you don't have a strategy. You know, you're anywhere in the world you, you go, companies are adopting digital strategies because it, it's essential. And I think companies are now trying to figure out, well, how does generative AI fit into there? Mm -hmm. And I suspect that over time, for more and more of them, uh, it's going to be considered essential. But again, the industry is so new still that I think they're just trying to figure out what the landscape and, and the implications of it are. As you said, the industry is so new. Of course, your AI has been around for a long time, but the explosive growth has been over the last year or two that we've, that we've all witnessed has caught the eye of government and regulators, and understandably so. If we look back on the dawn of the internet age, there was kind of a naive, wide-eyed excitement about the, the dawn of the, the internet, and it seems as though little attention was paid to some of the downsides, some of the negatives of internet perfusion. Uh, and internet, particularly in the creation of the whole social media industry, for instance. And of course, regulation at the dawn of the internet, if there was regulation, government regulation, it, it was certainly very light touch. But it seems as though there's a different approach here with AI, that there's a right almost from the very beginning of this new, this new wave of the most powerful AI, that, that we're talking about uh, the potential risks and that those risks need to be addressed through regulation. Where do you see regulation headed with regard to AI? And could it have a, could it have a limiting or a depressing effect on the, on the rate of innovation in, in this, this new technology? It's a really good question, Jim. The, I think you're right that when the internet got going, there was a tremendous optimism that it would democratize the world in many ways because everybody could do it and there'd be information flowing freely and that would lead to more open societies and, and all of that. And I think when we look at the early days that there was no reason to think for most people that that wasn't the case. And we know that a lot of that has happened as expected, but things have happened that were not expected. And, you know, nobody really dreamed of back then, which the, the fact that you actually could shut down the Internet with social media, the fact that it could be used for bad purposes as well as good purposes, and how do you address misinformation, all that range of issues that really emerged as, as we used it and new applications, whether for good or bad, were found. I think there's enough realization now that of what the, that there are potential downsides to new technology like this as well as upsides. And so just from our experience with the internet broadly and social media, there's, as you were pointing out, a, a very early sensitivity now to what the future 
issues, the downsides as well as the upsides may be. And so they they sort of you, you fall into kind of two different worlds, two different approaches, which are not completely inconsistent. One, one is the the optimistic perspective that we can be potentially so much more productive now with this kind of technology. We can accelerate the pace of innovation just because we can draw instantly, and that could be just you or me even, on this vast body of, of knowledge and information. Things that would have taken weeks or months before, now you can do that almost instantly. So if you think about how you accelerate the pace of research, you accelerate the, the pace of development of applications. You know, I've, I've, I've been in conversations with people who say, well, you, you, you'll be able to plug in a a patent if you're working on and have it the AI generate a whole range of very specific applications mm-hmm. about how this could be optimally used to address different kinds of challenges or medical issues and, and so on. So if, if you look at it through through, through that lens, it, it's this huge opportunity to accelerate uh, really innovation in, in a broad range of fields because it's just so fast and so and so efficient, or, or or it will be. And so, I think a lot of people. I've been to a lot of industry meetings with kind of leading people who are on the cutting edge of this, and, and there's there's definitely an optimism about the the potential and and what what actually is likely to happen. The flip side of it that I think there's really pretty broad awareness and sen- sensitivity to is potential that is perceived by many people that it, it gets out of control. Mm-hmm. And there's really two issues there. Primarily, one is that we all, all remember the 2001 uh, Space Odyssey where, you know, Hal, the Hal computer, computer. Uh, <laughs> has his own mind and decides that, you know, the mission is too important <laughs> and he won't be shut down. There is that, that debate, and, and, and on, on that score... There's a question that you know people are debating because they don't know the answers yet. Is this general intelligence? Is an AI capable of learning and being creative? Mm-hmm. And you know the top people I've talked to have said this is different. They were skeptical about the potential of AI to really be creative until generative AI came along, and now they say, oh no, this is different. That this actually has the capacity to be creative and then i've also had had some contact with you know sort of leading people who were really involved in the birth of ai going back a couple of decades they've talked about you know the concern that some people would say that it's not it's not a threat because it doesn't have direct interface with with the outside world so it really can't learn in the way that we we learn and take on those human qualities but on the other hand (laughs) i've looked a little bit of the science and like perception we know what we see, what we take in through our eyes, it's not just straight in and out. It, light doesn't come through our eyes, and then we're just seeing directly what's out there. It's actually reorganized by our brain. That's why we have gaps in perception, why you could do these funny puzzles about what do you see, what don't you see. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing and understanding is what our mind is organizing from the inputs. It appears that chat GPD can do that. It can take in the, the information and it can organize it. It doesn't have to be exposed to the world. And so if it can do that, then it raises this question of, yeah, can it will, or will it do that autonomously over time? Do we lose control? So that's one set of concerns. The other, of course, is we have scientists working on medical cures. They can use this for wonderful reasons. 
You can also have bad actors, as we have found with social media, who can go in potentially and do you want to build a bomb? Here's, here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. So I think those raise really fundamental issues. And, and getting to the bottom line, I don't think the answers are clear, except there's a general recognition that this needs to be addressed early, one way or the other. And then you this takes you to two schools. You know, One would be, let's put a lot of controls on it, Let's really box it in, regulate it strongly from the beginning. And the, the other school would say, you know, from an industry standpoint, let's self-regulate. And then in between, it's how can we have a, a framework regulation that is clear, maybe based on, on the level of risk involved in any particular application, but that doesn't set excessive limits or unnecessary limits on where this industry could go. And I, I think that will affect those choices, which are still quite open, will affect you know the pace of innovation. This is true anywhere in the world. And probably if you develop a set of policies that's very restrictive about what you can do with generative AI, the pace of innovation there is going to be lower, and, and probably those economies will over time be less competitive. I believe personally that we do need some kind of a framework here early, but if it can be selective and focused and not unduly limiting, then then we can have innovation continuing, but with the kind of kind of social perspective and, and mm. controls where necessary that um, that society wants. But it, it's a completely open debate right now. And I think people are really starting to have at it. There are conversations in California state government, there's conversations in federal government about it in Congress. Europe has already enacted a, or drafted an AI law. And so, you know, this is coming no matter what country you're in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we would do well globally to have a conversation among the leading players in China and Europe and here and elsewhere about how do we do this together. What about the Biden administration's recent action, announced action, the uh, curbing transfer of in- including this technology to China. For instance, with other technologies over the last 20, 25 years, the, there, there has been a, a willingness to share the technology across the world. But in this particular case with AI and specifically with China, of course, that speaks to how U.S. relations with China have evolved, not for the better, over the last five to 10 years. The Biden administration has actually published restrictions on the export of these GPUs to China. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the the control. America, at this point, through companies like NVIDIA, we seem to have the lead in manufacturing these super powerful chips and GPUs. And essentially, we seem to be saying, okay, we're recognizing the potential threat where this technology could be used against us. And so we're saying that starting in 2025, they won't be shipped to China. As you pointed out, Jim, this is part of the, you know, a much broader move on the part of the U.S. government, you know, progressive over the last few years to increasingly restrict technology exports to China and technology investments in China in sectors that you could consider to be dual use, and that's a lot, dual use meaning both civil and military applications, you know, recognizing that, you know, China is in many ways a strategic competitor and we don't want to transfer technologies that would enhance their military capability. And, but, you know, over time, the line is 
fudged between yes. economic capability and military capability. And I think seeing China as a strategic challenge or a strategic rival, however, whatever the terminology is going to be, has extended the rate, the focus of restrictions beyond just dual use to things that can sort of accelerate China's technological development, at least in, in certain key technology areas. So, you know, we laid on in the U.S. here progressively stronger restrictions on uh, the sale of advanced chips to China. There's a whole range of technologies um, that are subject to, to limitations. There's a there's a new review that the federal government has put in that will at least look at outbound investment in China mm-hmm. by U.S. companies in these technologies. So it it's just part of the picture, and I think it 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 is inevitable given that trend that. Generative, generative AI is is a part of that. And, you know, since you raised China, the U.S. and especially the Bay Area is the epicenter of, of what's going on. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in other places, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you find some of the leading companies now in places like London. You find some in Toronto, which has a really strong AI community and a strong search community in the AI space. And, you know, one of the leading ones now is in Jerusalem, which also has a strong AI sector. So I think when we look at this, you know, around the world, we are very clearly in the lead in the U.S. and very clearly in the lead in the San Francisco Bay Area. But things are happening elsewhere, too, as everybody kind of catches up and, and gets in this race to develop the technology and the the global centers that are already strong in tech and already strong in general AI are also going to be the places that generate you know, advances in this technology. So we're, we're in the lead, but we're, we're, we're not completely alone. I was surprised to see that Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi and Dubai have decided that AI is going to be one of the industries of the future, as, of course, fossil fuels are going to be phased out. Those countries that are so heavily dependent on oil revenues are looking for alternate sources of revenue generation for the future economy. And they see AI as one of the areas for growth. And I just saw that Saudi Arabia has put in an order for 3,000 GH200 CPUs from from NVIDIA. One of those CPUs is $40,000. They've put in an order for 3,000 of them. Talk to me about the growth of of that area, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, as being a potential power in this field of AI. I tend to think of tend to think of that region as being not one noted for democratic values, not one noted for free pursuit of intellectual pastimes, etc. Talk to me about that example, about uh, the Middle East and uh, those states playing a role in the future of AI. Well, I, I think everybody, as we were saying before, is, is sooner or later going to get in this game. Um, it, it's really hard for any major company or major country to stand aside over time. And and so it because, you know, a somebody is buying GPUs doesn't mean they're going to be the source of innovation. I think that's going to continue to come from the places that are actually creative tech-centered, like the Bay Area, Toronto, London, Jerusalem, and, and, and a few others, and of course in China. 
when I think about places like, like Saudi Arabia or the UAE that are doing this, I think they recognize, as others do, just the, the significance of, of the applications and having the capacity to develop and use the, the, the tools. So I think it's part of uh, what's going to be kind of a land rush in a way of countries and companies to to get in the game. I, I think the it'll, it'll be ubiquitous at some point, but and even down like you and I will have our, probably our own personal chat GPT assistance. I haven't tried it out yet to see whether it would work for exactly what I do, but, you know, I'm thinking about it. Well, you know, we don't really have the budget to hire uh, more staff people to help me out. What if I did this and, and at least get some of the basics out of the way? So uh, I think it's just part of the, the general trend. Every major country uh, that has the budget is, is, is going to get in it, but the innovation is going to continue to come from a, a pretty limited range of, of, of countries. Sean, I would really recommend that you, you try, whether it's uh, ChatGPT or uh, OpenAI, try it. The couple of times that I've used it, I found that there's a um, there's almost a personality at the other end of the uh, at the other end of the iPhone. There's a almost like a, a willingness to please on the part of the the AI. Try it yourself. See what you think. Because I was quite surprised and how quickly I was able to ask it questions. And and of course, there's the the effectiveness of AI also depends on how you phrase the question. One of the points that Jordan Peterson made in his lecture about AI and the kind of skills that talking about jobs for the future, he was saying that you know some of the best questioners and best prepared questioners do not necessarily come at AI with a STEM background, a science, technology, electronics background. He was saying that some of the best questioners come with a background in philosophy, a background in psychology, a background in literature, where they were able to, where questioners with those kind of backgrounds were able to phrase questions in such a way that the output from the AI, GPT, was, uh, was, was far more challenging and satisfying than it would have been otherwise. Just a, just a thought. Well, but I, I do I re- I recommend, I recommend that you try it. I think that's true because a lot of the understanding is that you know there are it can make a lot of mistakes. Yes, you know, but it's based on you know the information that it has and the questions that it's asked. So part of the technology, the issue, one of the issues in the future development of the technology is how to design out areas that would make it prone to say the inaccurate judgments or or mistakes. There's things like that. It is interesting, though, that it does have the ability, which was part of the fascinating part of all this, to, to learn. And you know, it's not just the information coming in raw. That's the, the raw data. And, of course, depending on what the good information or the bad information it's drawing on can lead you in, in different directions, which, which, which is one of the concerns. But mm-hmm. it, I, I think it, you're, you're right that the nature of the query is really yes. important and that's part of the one of the big questions of what the next step forward in the development of technology to make it as accessible as possible but at the same time to address in advance areas where it may be prone to, to misdirection well sean in the remaining few minutes of the podcast what are your closing thoughts about artificial intelligence innovation 
and the kinds of economic opportunity it might bring to our region. I think it's a unique opportunity for the Bay Area, which, as we were saying earlier, has been very successful for many decades in always making the leap to the next technology. We've seen a huge growth in funding. Uh, I think if there were like 86 deals in 2023, about $14 billion in funding, this is globally. That That's a huge growth from like $2.5 billion in 2022. Mm-hmm. So $2.2 to $14 billion. It was $3.5 billion in 21, but only $500 million in, in 2020. So mm-hmm. we're seeing money just flowing into there. Now, it's interesting that for the a lot of the start. There's a lot of startups. It's not just these big ten or fifteen companies that have gotten you know so much investment, like OpenAI and and and, and some of those. Uh, there are tons and tons of startups, and of those, almost eighty percent have either had no equity funding so far or have had only very early stage. So twenty six percent have had no equity funding. Seventy percent either no equity funding or any stage. So there, there's a huge startup world out there. Um, and inevitably, a lot of those, it's typical, of course, are just going to, they're going to die. You know, mm-hmm. These are not all going to work. But we know already because we're seeing it, some of them will emerge as, as leading players. We've seen this in the Bay Area um, again and again. And one of the interesting things I, I, I've noticed is something that's developed called Cognitive Valley, which is in the Hayes Valley, the Hayes Street area of San Francisco. Uh-huh. We had some bright people and they kind of started to do meetups and they say, hey, let's do this generative AI thing. And they invited people in from around the country. And then all of a sudden, really bright, young, you know, uh, creative people started to flow in from all across the country and around the world into this area of Hay Street called Cognitive Valley, loosely. And and so we're seeing this trend again of, of the Bay Area starting again to draw really bright people, the very brightest from across the country and across the world here to the Bay Area and, and, and to San Francisco. So that'll be fascinating to see where it goes. If you look at the funders, you know, we've got a lot of big venture players in this. Yeah. Sequoia, Lightspeed, Founders Fund, Andreessen Horowitz, Excel Partners, Coastal Ventures, Index Ventures, Pioneer Fund. Um, Andreessen and Sequoia are the, are the biggest ones. They're way ahead of the crowd in how much they're investing. But Elon Musk is getting into it now. Um, and then you find you know, the big companies like Microsoft, Google, investing a lot. NVIDIA, Oracle, Salesforce, they're investing in these companies too. So we're seeing our, a lot of our big companies here, established ones in tech, investing in these, these emerging startups. And then you find the big venture firms doing it uh, aggressively as, as well. So if we, of, of about 13 generative AI companies that are valued at over a billion, Hmm. Uh, this year, more than half, by my count, seven of those are in the Bay Area. Hmm. Four of those are, are, are in San Francisco. So, again, we're not the only place this is happening, but we are by far the principal place, the major place where it's happening. And, and this has the ability to attract uh, more companies and more funding and really to push the Bay Area into the next level. Of, of, of economic development and growth, just as, you know, the internet and before that, semiconductors have, have done a lot to propel our economy forward. Well, Sean, how can our listeners follow you and the work of the Bay Area Council? 
Thanks for asking that, Jim. We we generate a lot of research and a lot of programs, and generally people, everybody's invited. Our website for the Bay Area Council Economic Institute is very simple, www.bayareaeconomy.org, and you can find all of our research there and our events, and uh, our parent, the Bay Area Council, which does the advocacy is, guess what? www.bayareacouncil.org. And so I would invite anybody who's interested to check out our work. It's always being refreshed. And if they want to contact me on anything, they should feel free to contact me. I'm at Sean at bayareacouncil.org. And Sean, what about a Twitter handle for you and for the Bay Area Council? I am actually not using Twitter handles right now. So I think the best way is just to uh, go into our website. I see. Well, Sean, thank you for joining us today to talk about artificial intelligence and the San Francisco Silicon Valley Bay Area and the impact that it's having and is likely to have. Well, thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. It's going to be, to say the least, very fascinating to see where this goes in the next few years. But I think one way or the other, we're going to be driving it from here in the Bay Area. I hope so. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 434. The San Francisco Experience podcast was recently recognized by Feedspot as one of the top 25 California news podcasts. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and join our listener base that spans 60 countries. This has been the San Francisco Experience podcast with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.